0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege we have to gather here this morning. And while we're grateful for the land that we live in and our constitution and the freedoms that we have and our First Amendment, at the same time, Lord, we don't gather because of that. We gather because you're worthy of it. And even if it were the kind of thing where we would be persecuted for it, you would still be worthy of our gathering. You would still be worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. Even if all of the forces of our government came against us, you would be worthy of all of that. Let us sense that and understand that this morning, that you are worth it no matter what the cost might be. So, Lord, we want to remember to pray for people who are persecuted, people that are going to prison for doing what we do. We pray even, Lord, in California for churches that are defying the government in order to come together. And I pray that you'd give them wisdom, and I pray that you'd give them favor. Not to mention places like China and Iran and places in, like Cuba and others where they do face physical threat for just worshiping the Lord. I pray we would never forget our brothers and sisters who are in chains and may we never fail to be thankful for what we have and the freedoms that we enjoy. Lord, I thank you for answering prayers. I thank you that um, Chuck Lewis is still with us. I thank you that they were able to correct what was uh, wrong with his heart and I thank you that he's home now. I thank you that you are working in Linda Hogan's life and Pray for her as she has upcoming surgery after her fall. I pray, Father, that you would remind us of our brothers and sisters in the church that are grieving and people that are struggling and people that uh, economically as well as maybe in their family or in their marriage, they need help and they need support. And pray that we would always be there like you're there for us. And I pray, Lord, that as we take some time to look in your word, Fill us with your spirit so that we understand what you are saying to us through the scripture and that we would live accordingly. And so, Lord, we just come to say, Jesus alone is worthy. Worthy is the lamb. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless us for your glory, that we might be a greater blessing to you and to the world that we live in. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated now. Let's take our Bibles and let's turn to the book of Exodus. And we are still in chapter 12 as we make our way through this. We're going to go down to verse uh, 40. And I was looking at these verses and thinking, is this just merely a recap of something that we've already seen and something that we already know? And then it uh, dawned on me, and so I'll just share this with you. This is written long after. This is not Moses' diary of what's happening. He's writing this after the children of Israel are in the desert. And as he is writing and recounting what had happened to them and how they were free and the Passover, the Holy Spirit impressed him, ...to write some things and to uh, give some regulations. And these regulations about Passover are not necessarily surprising. I think most of us would kind of expect these things. But they reveal some things to us, some family treasures that uh, we might understand that the world certainly wouldn't. If you're a child of God, I think these things will bless you. So let's start reading in Exodus chapter 12, uh, verse 40. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, on that very same day... It came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It, was, uh, it is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, he may eat of it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat of it. In one house it shall be eaten, "...and you shall not carry any of the flesh outside of the house, nor shall you break one of its bones." And that's a prophetic thing, because when Jesus is on the cross as our Passover lamb... ...remember they didn't break any of his bones, even though they did the others. Verse 47, "...all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover... To the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land, or in other words, or a part of the nation or the Jewish race and religion. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. No favoritism, no exception, just one law. And he just stated that. Verse 50, thus shall all the children of Israel, thus all the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their army. So Moses is recapping this and he's also adding some things on there for the... Uh, later celebrations or observances of the Passover now remember he said this is perpetual and you're gonna do this all the way until the end if you are a Jew and uh, now he is making sure that they understand that there are some requirements for all of this now I uh, think about all of these things that he said because when you remember that these are called over and over and over the children of Israel, and they're not little kids, the word children means they are the descendants of Israel. Who is Israel? You know him better by the name of Jacob. Jacob was their common ancestor, as was Abraham. But remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So the nation of Israel and every Jew that you'll ever meet who is a racial Jew, they have the DNA of Jacob and of Abraham running through them. They're a part of the family. So this is a family thing, a gathering of about... Well, two million family members, that's a pretty large family reunion, but they're all related. They are all from the tribes of uh, Jacob, the tribes of Israel, and Jacob is their common ancestor now as I was thinking about this I was thinking about how important family is and some of the things that we learn about our families over the years I don't know about you but sometimes uh, from time to time I hear some things and learn some things about family that I didn't know I'm thinking today about August 30th because that is my dad's birthday and my father-in-law's birthday they're both on the same, born on the same day a year apart Papa Sam would have been 86 today my dad would have been 87 today kind of makes you think about family think about the past think about memories think about things that you have learned and things that uh, you wish that you knew when people die and Uh, generations pass, you don't have anybody to ask anymore. Don't you, some of you who may be my age, don't you wish that you had asked more questions? Don't you wish that you had listened more carefully? Don't you wish that you knew more about where you came from and about your roots and those kind of things? Well, as we look at these regulations, we look at, at those and we go, well, how in the world... Am I supposed to learn anything from this? And I want to just say that these family secrets, these these family surprises, these family treasures that are in here, this is not just crack the whip and make some commands. These commands here give us some insight into our family, into our relationship with God. Now, where am I going with all of this? When we first started reading in there, there was a word that jumped out at me. It was the word sojourn. It says that uh, they sojourned for 430 years. Well, when you look up the word sojourn, here's what it says. To stay as a temporary resident for 430 years of temporary residence. What is that? Five lifetimes or something like that? I mean, sojourn, really? And that's where point number one comes from, folks. We need to understand that God views time and circumstances very differently than we do. Go ahead and go to that next slide. There you go. And we need to understand that what we look and we say, 430 years, 4 centuries. And God looks at it and goes, yeah, just a temporary little thing. See, when I think of a sojourn, I think of maybe a camping trip. And we go out in the woods and we sojourn in a tent for five days, maybe, right? That's a sojourn. When I think of a sojourn, I think maybe you had a job transfer and you were in another part of the country for three or four years, maybe five years. And then you come back home. That's a a sojourn. But God looks at all of this, this God who is eternal, who is timeless, who is above time and space... The one that we are told that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. This God who is above and unaffected by time and space, who invaded time and space, but he is unaffected by it. He's not impatient, he's not worried, he never has his plans frustrated, there's never a time where he goes, well, this is longer than I thought it was going to be, or there's never a time when God goes, oh, is it that time already? This is a God who looks at everything differently than we do because he has a different perspective. And this is why, if you ever read the book of Habakkuk, this is a God who gives promises That may never be fulfilled in your lifetime or mine. This is a God who gives promises that may never be seen by the people that he's speaking to. But they're still going to happen because God says your lifetime and my lifetime and the span of life that we have is not how God measures everything he is over and above all of that and sees the very beginning and the very end and he works his plan out perfectly and we get impatient we get uptight we say when is this going to be over can't you imagine how many times over 430 years the people of Israel said when are the promises going to be fulfilled how long does this go on and God just seems to be very, very patient. Because there had to be some time that took place because Moses was the one that God was going to use. Well, if you don't have a Moses at the first hundred years, then you can't do anything. If you don't have a Moses in the second hundred years, you can't do anything. If you don't have a Moses in the third hundred years, you don't do anything. Moses is born in that last Uh, 400 years there's also another thing too if you read in Romans chapter 9 there's a, a part in there where God says about Pharaoh the Pharaoh that endured the plagues the Pharaoh that Moses confronted God said for this reason I've raised you up that I may show my power. So there have been other pharaohs during that 430 years, but not the right pharaoh, because God is more interested in timing than he is in time. And there are certain things and certain people and certain circumstances that have to come to pass before God does what he's going to do. And we say, why don't you do it now? And God says, it's not time for that to happen yet. So that's point number 1. God looks at this differently than we do and calls 430 years just that's when you sojourned in Egypt, okay? That that'll save you a lot of frustration if you understand that about our times and about our life, about biblical prophecy and all of those things. But secondly, I don't want you to get the idea that God deals in such big expanses and spaces of time that he sort of shoots with a scatter gun. No, it's pinpoint accurate. You'll notice that when the end of that 430 year sojourn came, at the time of the first observance of the Passover, did you notice twice in the passage we read, it said, on that same day, on that same day, God had a target date in mind, and it didn't have to shift, it never wasn't pushed ahead, and it wasn't pushed behind, it wasn't delayed, there wasn't anything about it, it was a target date that he had pinpointed on his calendar and as God pinpoints these things and puts these things on his calendar understand that God's timing is exact there was a day that you were born and that was not an accident and that was not determined by the doctor see I was very premature and uh, they Delivered me in my seventh month by C-section. Did that mean God had to go to his calendar and erase it and say, Oh, this kid that probably should have been born in March is now going to be born in January. Not on your life. That was the date that God had planned for me. And the circumstances that caused me to have to be born on that date, January 17th, 1960. That was planned by God because that was the date that God had ordained. You know something else? There is a date that one day will be carved into my tombstone. And I don't know what that is and you don't know what that is about your life. But God knows exactly what that is. And you and I are not going to live a second longer than God has ordained and allowed and allotted for us to live. And so this is all carved in stone. This is all put here as an exact thing. What am I going to do with my life? What are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with the time and with the days that God has given you? Because you don't know how many they are, but God does. And let me tell you something else. However long he has allotted for you to live, it's enough. It's enough for you to do whatever the will and the plan and the purpose of God for your life is. Is. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your time. Don't wait for someday. What are you doing now? You don't really have the promise of tomorrow. There's an exactness in all of this. There's an exact date that that trumpet's going to sound and that the archangel is going to shout according to 1 Thessalonians 4, and that's when the Lord is going to call us out. There's a definite date where I believe seven years later, the Lord is going to return and set up his kingdom on earth, and it's going to last a thousand years. The Lord knows exactly what he is doing, and nothing derails him, nothing throws him off, nothing has to be adjusted, because what God does, it is, as we said here, it is an exact time, not indefinite, it's chosen and all of these things are put together even I believe that the day of your salvation was chosen by the grace of God from before the foundation of the the world and that on that exact time at that exact place that's when the Holy Spirit gave you faith to believe drew you with cords of love to trust in the payment of Jesus as the full payment for your sin and you trusted in his death burial and resurrection and became a child of God and they didn't have to go and put another plate at the table. They didn't have to write another name in the book. It was already there and it was already prepared for you because that was worked out by the Lord and it is an exact thing. So God Times things and sees timing differently than we do. And yet at the same time, he's very exact. On that very same day, on that exact day, that's when God delivered the children of Israel. Thirdly, you'll notice here that God starts talking here about all of this very painful stuff, about circumcision and all of those kind of things, because there were some foreigners there were some, the Bible calls them, a mixed multitude in some translations that were with the children of Israel when they left Egypt. Remember that? There were some who decided they were going with the Jews. They were not Jews, but they were going to go with them. Maybe they were afraid of the judgments. Maybe they looked at them and they said, Wow, if this powerful God has his hand on them, then why am I remaining here with all of these weakling gods? I'm going to go with them. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they knew or that they believed or that they understood everything. There might have been several reasons that they went. Maybe even intermarriage is the reason that they went with them. But these foreigners traveling with them were a problem. Why were they a problem? Well, the Bible says in the book of Numbers in the 11th chapter that the people started complaining about the manna and about those kind of things ...that uh, were happening there. But you know, you may have missed something. It wasn't just that the uh, Jews were complaining. Numbers eleven four 4 says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them... ...yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said... ...who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt... ...the cucumbers... The melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now, the children of Israel were guilty of complaining. That's very clear in everything we read. But where did it get started? It got started, according to Numbers 11, among that mixed multitude that was with them. And sometimes we find ourselves influenced by the world more than we would want to be. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, when Moses writes, quoting God about Israel, said, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth. It is not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. "...for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your ancestors, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt." So you have to remember here that as God looks at his people, this two million people approximately that came out of Egypt, he looks and he still sees a difference between those that belong to him, those who were a part of his covenant, and those that were not. Which brings us to point number three. God makes a distinction between those who are his people and those who are not his people. You know, sometimes I think as Christians, we look at God as he just loves everybody the same and we're no different than anybody else. Oh, yeah, you are. You were chosen by Him. You were redeemed by Him. His Spirit indwells you. You have a covenant with Him that's an everlasting covenant. You have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we could go on and on and on. In other words, child of God, how many of you are born again here today, have trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord? Say amen. amen. You're not like everybody else. There are some things you share in common with them. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the difference is your sins were put on Christ. Theirs are not. You are different. God has his eye on you. He's prepared a mansion for you according to John chapter 14. According to 1 Thessalonians 4, he has his eye on you and is coming back for you and is going to call you out. The Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints He has promised to provide for you because you are His children, the sheep of His pasture. God loves you with a maximum love, with a family love, with an everlasting love and has prepared a wonderful place for you. And He walks with you and He guides you through this world. He provides for all of your needs according to His riches and glory. He instructs you. He disciplines you. He helps you. And He sustains you. And He protects you. He you. He guards over you, he watches over you. Think of all of the verses that you read. He doesn't do that for everybody. He watches over his own people. In fact, as we read in this passage, as they're going through the wilderness, can anybody take of the Passover? Well, the answer is yes. If, if, if they will become a part of the covenant people of God. This is open to anybody and yet at the same time it is also excluding those who will, not, who will not enter into the covenant. You see that? And so God has a special way that he looks at his people. He makes a difference between those who are and those who aren't. And those who aren't are welcome but there's only one way in. And that's through the very painful rite of circumcision. And God makes it very clear. That is the mark of the covenant in the Old Testament. You're welcome to come in, but that's the way in. And in the New Testament, it's in some ways the same because he says... Anyone is welcome, whosoever will may come, but there's only one way to come in. You don't come in by your giving, you don't come in by charity, you don't come in by your good works, you don't come in by church membership, you come in one way, and that's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection as full payment for your sins, surrendering to Him as Lord. There's only one way. Jesus put it like this, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. And I didn't make that up. That's what Jesus had to say. And so anybody can come. It's how you come. There's only one way that you can come in. And in this situation, they were free to come in, but there was only one way to come in. And as you can imagine, nobody would come in through the way of circumcision in just a casual way. That was a big big deal to do that that was a painful thing that was a an act of commitment that was something that you were going to do with uh, a lot of thought and with a lot of faith and with a lot of belief and so God makes a distinction and a difference between those who are his people and those who are not his people. And sometimes I think we forget that and we get everything just kind of all mixed up and put together. So in a sense it was an invitation, but also it was uh, an exclusion. God didn't want to take this very special feast with all of the meaning and then just mix it up in things that wouldn't matter and he said that if they come in and go through the rite of circumcision, they were to be treated as native-born people. They were brought in as though they had always been there and uh, been a part of it. And fourthly, I want you to notice that God's power and God's grace changes identity. The Bible tells us here that God calls these people out but notice he doesn't say that he calls out slaves or he called out a crowd or he called out just you know whoever and whatever this is very distinct he calls out his people brings them out of slavery and then notice what he says in there he calls them armies he brought his armies out well I don't know that any of these slaves had much military training. I don't know that any of these slaves really would have considered themselves an army. We're just going along. We're ready to be free. They may have been seen just as a mob or just as a crowd or just as a group, but God saw them as an army. These were the people that their sons and daughters were going to march around Jericho and the walls were going to fall in. Their sons and daughters were the ones that were going to drive out the Canaanites. They are the ones that are going to conquer the land. And how do you get to be a slave from a slave to an army? Well, I grew up, as most of you know, as an army brat. And I'm just going to submit to you, some of you have served in the army. There's not a whole lot of difference if you're in the army between a slave and someone who's in the army, right? You join the army and all of a sudden you don't have any rights. All of a sudden, you don't have any choices. All of a sudden, you don't really have any decisions. They tell you when to report. They tell you in basic training what time to get up, what time to go to bed. They tell you when you're going to eat. They pretty much tell you what you're going to eat. They tell you what to wear. They tell you where you're going to go. They tell you where you're going to serve. They tell you what your job is going to be. I mean, it's kind of like slavery in some ways. And growing up as an army brat, I didn't have any choice in anything. We moved somewhere. They said, this is where you're going to live. These are your quarters. Here's where you're going to go to school. I mean, there were very little choices. So on one hand, I kind of look at the two things and say, well, it's not a big jump from slave to army. Because in the army, you are always under someone else's command and authority. But here's the difference. Nobody ever pinned a medal on a slave. Nobody ever wrote a paycheck to a slave. Nobody ever built a monument to a slave. But they do that for soldiers. And these soldiers that serve well are rewarded by their commanding officers. I have several things of my dad's where some of the commanding officers at the posts that we served would have a special ceremony when he left and would give him a commendation for all of that. He was just doing his job, but he did it with honor, and he did it with distinction. And notice that when God calls Israel out of Egypt, they're not just a mob. They're not just a group of people. God says, they're my army. They're my army that's going to go to the land that I promised their forefather. They're my army that is going to go and conquer and bring judgment upon my enemies in there. They are my people. They are special. They are different. They are the army of the Lord. They are the hosts of the Lord. Think about that. Because when you and I think about our lives, are we just here by random chance? Are we just here sharing the same atoms as the stars and the moon and asteroids and all of that and we just happen to mutate into something that lives and breathes and we live and we die and then we go back to to dust and that's all there is? Or could it be that as creations of God Almighty, That as we look, we get to fit in to his time and his purpose and his eternal plan that includes everything on this earth, the nations of the earth, everything, even the rule and the reign of Christ on earth. We get to be a part of everything that he does that started way, way before us and may continue on way after us, may not, but it doesn't matter. We get to be a part of that because we are a part of his plan and what he has done. And could it be that there are some things that God has pinpointed that are going to take place that are of historical and eternal significance that he is going to use you for? And maybe he hasn't done it yet But it doesn't mean he's not going to. Maybe there's a day coming up when you are used in such a strategic way that lives are changed and God is glorified. And you are the exact person that he has chosen to use at an exact time. And it's just not here yet. Maybe you've kind of taken your relationship to God way too casual. And you just see yourself as a citizen of the country, as a citizen of earth. I'm just a human. I'm just walking through here. And may I just call you up short? No, you are not. If you were born again, you were a child of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, loved with an everlasting love, and you are indwelt by God himself. You have an assignment on this earth. You have a reason for living, and that reason is not just to amass as many toys as you can get. It's not just to simply have comfort in your life. You have an assignment like someone in the army. You have rank, you have privilege, and you also have responsibility responsibility and duty as you carry these things out because God sees you differently than he sees the world and he has changed you and made you a part of his kingdom so as we wrap it up maybe think about some questions here that uh, might help you number one are you frustrated because God doesn't operate on your schedule well my first thing is who in the world do you think you are You need to surrender to Him. God, I don't operate on my timetable, but I do operate on yours. Number two, are you ready for God to move? Because He's going to. And there are some things that He's going to do at the time that He has chosen. And it may be your death. Are you ready to die? It may be the coming of the Lord to call out His church. Are you ready for that? It may be some specific assignment with your children or with somebody else's children. It might be some assignment at your workplace. It might be some assignment where you uh, uh, rise to greatness and you rise to to something you never dreamed of. Are you ready for that? Because God can do it, and God may be doing that, and you don't want to be out of His will or wandering around someone else. You want to be focused. You want to be ready. And number three, do you uh, take your status as a child of God for granted or do you thank God every day that God has chosen you that God has redeemed you that God has given you his word that God has given you life that God has given you his promises it's all for a purpose and you're a child of God you're not like everyone else Paul rebuked the Corinthians for living like mere men and that's the tragedy we are not just mere humans we're indwelt by God And we are called by Him. And number four, are you just simply going with the flow of life? Or are you reporting for duty in His army for such a time as this? For such a time as this. I have thought so often that I'm glad, mentioning my father and mentioning Papa Sam. I'm glad they're in heaven. I'm glad they're not going through all of this. I'm thinking about some of my ancestors. I loved my grandpa, but he couldn't adapt to a world that we live in. He couldn't understand it. He couldn't get it. But you and I can. And even though there are things that don't make sense to us, we can yield to the sovereign plan and purpose of God, and we can glorify Him, and we can be used by Him to reach our generation For Jesus Christ. We are the ones called. For this particular time. We were called to live through this pandemic. We are called to live in this time. Of turmoil and riots. And lawlessness that is going on. We are the ones that are called. To stand up. And to vote in November. We are the ones who are called. To raise our children. And to influence our grandchildren. We are the ones that are called. And it's not by random chance. And it's not by accident. This is the work of an eternal God who sees time differently than we do. This is the call of God who has put you in this exact place at this exact time for His eternal purposes and glory. This is the God who sees you out of all of the billions of people on earth as His child, His chosen and purchased possession, the one that He indwells. And this is the God who has placed you in His army and like a mighty army moves the church of God. And we go on and on and on for His glory. And when it's time for us to be dismissed, He'll dismiss us in peace. We'll go to heaven and there'll be someone else to step in our place and to carry on. Because our God always has a people. And our God never ever fails to keep His promises or to fulfill His And all God's people said, amen. Let's bow together for prayer before we leave. Oh, Father, as I think about you and as I think about your plan, I don't know why you included me. I don't know why you chose me. I don't know why we live for such a time as this because we can all think of people that might be better qualified than we are. But you called them home And you left us here. You called them for a different time, a different generation, a different situation. But you've called us for now. And so, Lord, I pray that through live stream, maybe even in the congregation today, you would call people into your family today, into salvation, entering in that one way through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, for those of us who are already saved and born again, may we think about this. It's not just about us. It's about your eternal plan and purpose. You view time differently than we do. And may we also understand we're not just here randomly in that plan, but specifically in that plan for an exact time and purpose. And may we fulfill that by your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you don't look at us as just one of the crowd. You know us individually, and you know those of us who have trusted you. We're different because we're the children of God. And thank you, Father, that the assignment we've been given, whether it's great, whether it's small, whether it's public, whether it's private, whether it's known or unknown, we're a part of your army, and we function as you have gifted us and placed us. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us significance in this life and in your plan. All for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.